So I got a question. And you know what my question is. I have to ask you this every single week because I want to know. Do you have your Bibles ready? Because we're about to get ready to study the word as we do every single week. We want you to follow along in your Bibles. All the scriptures that are talked about, even take notes. Because that's how, you know, we are supposed to study each and every week. If not more than this. So welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. As you know, this is the podcast where we study the Bible and the biblical covenant and its deeper meanings. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Now, as we continue on with the sacrificial system of the Day of Atonement, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate the introduction and what we want to do is continue where we left off last evening. Uh, we've been talking about the sacrificial system, and particularly, we've been looking at the Day of Atonement, which is a very important day within the economy of Israel. And we looked at the circulatory system in which the blood was applied and various uh, offerings was offered during uh, this particular Day of Atonement. And we were looking at it from seven phases of the circulatory system. And the first phase was the confessional phase. And then we had the second phase, which was the slain. And the third was the application phase in the courtyard. And fourth was the applicational stay phase in the sanctuary tabernacle. And fifth, fifth we dealt with the cleansing phase and six we dealt with the confessional phase and what we like to uh, concentrate on here uh, is the seventh which is the clothes changing stage the clothes changing stage we want to look at that and as we get started on this particular spiritual journey we want to let you know that this part of the segment, once we finish this evening, will be the completion of what we call the type. And then when we start up again, we'll be going over the same material that we have studied here. But the next time we'll deal with it will be the antitype. Now, the type is what we, we have been looking at. So we're looking forward to the antitype in the following discourses. So this evening, we want to uh, finish this uh, discourse, which is the seventh phase, the clothes-changing phase. And I want you to turn with me in Leviticus chapter 16, Leviticus chapter 16, and we want to concentrate on verse number 23. Now here in Leviticus chapter... 16 verse 23 says, And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. Now here we are told that after Aaron 
had finished officiating in his duties with the scapegoat, he changed his clothing from the linen garments to his high priest's garments. Now, the linen garments were also called the holy garments. Now, we look in the 16th chapter and verse 4, and we are told here in verse 4 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus, he shall put on the holy linen garment or the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments thereof. Shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. Okay, so what we're saying is, is that when the Day of Atonement came, that the priest had to put on what we call, he took off his regular garments and he put on what we call the linen garments, which we also call, according to verse 4, the holy garments. Moreover, these garments were, were only worn on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. So when we look at the high priest putting on the holy garments, which was linen, okay, he had a linen mitre on his head, he had a linen uh, a garment, a linen robe, and he had a lim linen uh, girdle, and all of that was made out of linen, and he wore that one in a year. Now, the common priests, the common priests who assisted him, now they may have worn their linen garment uh, every day, but the high priest only wore, wore this once uh, on the Day of Atonement. So these garments were only worn on, on that day. He put them on when he went into the most holy place to offer the sweet incense in the morning when the special mediatorial work was done. He removed the linen garments in exchange for the golden garments. So he would cleanse himself after removing the linen clothes and then he would put on his high priest's garment. Now, these linen garments the high priest wore resemble those of the common priest. Now, the common priest assisted the high priest in performing the duties of the sanctuary. Even though the common priest officiated the ministry in behalf of Aaron, yet it was as though he himself performed the service. So even when a priest assisted Aaron, and they performed the things that need to be done. It was as if Aaron was doing it himself. But keep in mind that when they assisted him the 359 days out of the year, and the service that they rendered was considered like Aaron doing it himself, but yet when the Day of Atonement came in, it was a different situation. Now, while the common priests could assist Aaron in these duties, Yet on the Day of Atonement, Aaron had to perform them himself. 
In other words, no other priest could perform th these type of services for Aaron on the Day of Atonement. He was the one and only priest that could be able to do this. This is why the Bible says that when he as the high priest went into the sanctuary, that no one else could be in there. Now, they could assist him as he went back and forth, but only Aaron could do it. Now, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest himself officiated in all parts of the service. He was assisted by other priests. The high priest changed his garments several times during the Day of Atonement, and with each change, there was a washing. Now, we dealt with the washing. We dealt with that, but we're concentrating on the changing of his garments in this particular discourse. Now, according to the Talmud, at the first light of dawn, the high priest removed his personal clothing and he put on the high priest's clothing. It was in these, it was in, it was in these, he conducted the regular morning service. So when he started the morning service, the high priest had his uh, high priestly garment on. And when that was completed, he removed the high priest garments and put on the linen or what we call the holy garments for the special day of atonement services. Now, again, we turn to Leviticus uh, 6.14. When he got ready to do the service on the day of atonement, he took off the high priestly garments and we are told he shall put on the holy linen coat. So he had a linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen uh, girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. said, these are the holy garments. So uh, when he got ready to officiate on the day, then these are the garments, the garments that was made out of all linen. He had a linen my tree on his head, he had a linen coat on his body, and he had a linen uh, girdle around the coat. And he had underneath the coat, the Bible says he had linen breeches. Okay, so those were the garments that he used on the day of torment. Okay, now then later he exchanged after the day of torment. Uh, during kind of like the evening. Then he exchanged the linen garments for the high priest garments for the evening service. Now, at the conclusion of the evening service, he put on his personal clothing. Now, we read in uh, Leviticus 16 and verse 24. Notice what it says. In verse 24, it says, uh, and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments. Now, you see, he said put on his garments. You know, and when he's talking about his garments, he's neither talking about the high priest's garment, nor is he talking about the linen garments, but he's talking about those garments that he had put on, that he had taken off when he first came into the sanctuary, which was his personal garments. Okay, so let's let's look let's look at the breakdown of the day of atonement.
Now, when it was dawn, in other words, at the first entrance of light coming in in the morning, he had his personal clothes, okay? And then when the morning got on the way, he had changed into the high priest's garments. And then when the Day of Atonement was, was in progress, he changed his high priest garments to the linen garments. Okay, and then when evening was come, coming, after the scapegoat had been let loose and gone into the wilderness, and when that evening was coming, he changed his linen garments to the high priest's garment. And then after the high priest's garments, which he was in, and when all of the service was over, at dusk, when the sun had set, then he put back on his personal clothes, according to Leviticus 16, 24. So when we consider the fact that the priest changed his clothes, what does these changes mean? In order for us to properly understand what the changing of the high priest's clothing, let us examine at least uh, three things. Okay, let us uh, look at some things that we need to examine as we deal with the changing of the priest's clothes. Okay. Now, the first thing we want to examine is the significance of clothes as it relates to our first parents. Okay. So the priest changed a number of times. So we, 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 we want to examine uh, what is the symbolical meaning? What is the significance of changing the clothes? Okay. So we want to kind of take an introspective look at that because sometimes we can glance over stuff that is very significant. So what, what we want to do is uh, be able to see what this changing is about. So let us turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis. And here in the book of Genesis, we want to look at chapter 2. And we want to consider verse 25. Okay. Looking at Genesis, chapter 2, verse 25, and it reads thusly. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay. Now, here it says they were naked and not ashamed. And then we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, it says, this is after they had eaten of the forbidden. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Okay, the Bible said that they knew that they were naked, and they made fig leaves and they took some fig leaves and made some aprons. And then we read again in the same chapter, the third chapter of Genesis in verse 10. And it says, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid and because I was naked and I hid myself. So here we see in verse 10, he said he was afraid. And one reason why he was afraid, he said, because he was naked. And he hid himself. So we see that 
when a person is naked and they and, and, and they, they they feel ashamed, and with that type of feeling, they they, they hide themselves. Then we notice in Genesis chapter three and verse twenty-one, it said, "Unto Adam also and to his wife did Yah Elohim make coats of skins and clothe them." Now Elohim made coats of skins. Consequently, when we examine these passages, we see at least three types of clothing. Okay. We see at least three types of clothing. So when we look again back at Genesis 2.25, when it speaks about they were naked and not ashamed, what is this talking about? First, they said it was naked and not ashamed. So if they were naked and not ashamed, apparently Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed because they were enshrouded with a halo of light. Man's can's first outer garment was a garment of light. That was his first garment. The reason why Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed because when they walked around, they had a halo of light around them, and they felt they felt fully dressed with that halo of light. However, after they ate of the forbidden. Their second set of garments were fig leaf aprons. They made fig leaves aprons. That was their second type of garment. And then when Elohim made them coats of skin, that was the third type of garment. They were clothed in coats of skin. So so they were clothed with light. They were clothed with fig leaves, and they were clothed with skin. So the first thing we want to know about clothes are their purpose. What is the purpose of clothes? The purpose of clothes are to cover oneself. That's what the purpose of clothes is, is to cover oneself. And so when we look at the basic pur purpose of covering, then we have some of the significance of what clothes is about. So when we go back to our initial premise upon which we talked about a covering, it was on the Day of Atonement. As we have pointed out that the Hebrew for Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur, meaning a day of covering. When we sin, we and Elohim covered. The Hebrew word kapur means to cover. When Adam and Eve sinned, they wanted to cover themselves with fig leaves, but that was not sufficient. Elohim covered them with coats, says the Bible, of skin. On the Day of Atonement, our sins are covered. The very thing the high priest was doing to cover the sins of he, of him and his people was what Elohim was doing with the first couple who sinned. He covered them. 
Now, the next thing we observe about clothes is their type. Their type. Now, according to the text we read, there were three types of clothes. First, were the clothing of light, which means they were clothed with the glory of Yah, which was an eternal existence. They would have an eternal life if they had continued not to sin. That light would have been with them forever. That was Elohim's glory, and they, which they shared with their Creator. Had not they broke the covenant with him, they would have existed forever with that light to give off the glory of Elohim. So we find here the first type of clothing they, was light. Second was their fig leaf clothing, which means they were clothed with a temporary covering, which would eventually wear out. We see from this covering is man's attempt to cover himself from sin is not sufficient, nor is the material he uses capable of doing so. It could only last for so long. Now the third was the coat of skins, which they were clothed with something that was permanent and enduring. So we see the light was the eternal glory, which they lost because of sin. And the fig leaves was their attempt to cover their sins, but only temporarily, but it was not enduring. And then the credit and enduring. So the next thing we observe about clothing is that it symbolizes our character. Okay. See, clothes symbolizes our character. So the clothing of light represented the glorious character of Yah. That was his character. And as we looked at his character, what we see here is that when they were first created, they walked around in the eternal righteousness of Elohim himself. Or the sinful character of man. When they put the fig leaves up there, the fig leaves will eventually wither and weigh just like sin causes man to wither away. The wages of sin was death and the fig leaves that they got would be able to receive death and it would not be able to give them the protection that they needed. So the clothing of fig leaves represented the sinful character of man. The clothing of sin, the scope, the clothing of skin represented the character of a righteous life given for a sinful one. So when they had the coat of skin that Elohim put upon Adam and Eve, they were getting something that was permanent, enduring, and also that the clothing that they wore was a reminder to them that another life had to be taken for their life, and therefore the life that 
gave up its life to give them clothes with a righteous life and their sinful life could be atoned for by the clothes from the animal in which to clothe them. So we see that the clothing of skin represented the character of a righteous life given for a sinful life. So when we look at that, we see the various types of skin. And as we look at the various types of skin and what they represent, now that we know that clothing is our covering and character, let us now see what it meant for the priest to change his garments. What does it mean for him to change his garment? Yeah. Now, what we notice thus far is that the high priest changed his garments several times during the Day of Atonement. Moreover, there were three types of outfits he wore, respectively. Now, when we consider the priest's uh, garment uh, that he wore, and, and look at those uh, particular uh, attires that he had, uh, they, have, they were full of significance. And what we notice is that he had his regular clothes and he had his uh, garments of linen and he had his high priest garments. And when you look at all of those uh, garments that he had, uh, they had and they were full of significance, okay? So what we noticed thus far is that he had his personal clothes, his linen clothes, his high priest clothes. Consequently, what we have is our personal clothes, which represents our everyday clothes of which we wear on a daily basis. Then there is the linen garments, and this linen garment represents righteousness. And then there's the high priest's garments, which represents both Yah's covenant with his people, which contains the plan of salvation. Okay. So now what we want to do is kind of look at these garments that the priest had. Okay, now when we turn to Exodus chapter 28, and we start with verse number two, it says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod, and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. 
and they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And then it gives a breakdown of all of the type of things that should be contributed to this particular garment. And as we read in verse 4, it gives a breakdown of them. And then in verse 5, it tells us the materials that were to go in it. And then verse 6 and following, it takes each piece and tells what each piece should be made out of. So what we're seeing here is that all of the materials and the colors of these materials had a salvational purpose. And so when we look at the purpose of these things, they were very significant in the life of Israel. So when we look at verse 5, and they say, they shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet and the fine twain linen. Now, all of these were representative of some portion of the plan of salvation. Now, the gold represented divinity, that Elohim was in it. And the blue represented his law. As you know, when he wrote the Ten Commandments, he wrote upon sapphire stones, which were blue. And then he talked about uh, purple. And then you look at scarlet. Now, scarlet represents blood. It represents blood. But if you notice that between the blue and the scarlet, you have purple, because blue, which stands for the law, and the scarlet, which stands for blood, when you put the law blue with the scarlet color red and mix it, you come out with purple. And purple is the royal color. It is the royal color. And when you look at that royal color, what you're looking at is you have, James speaks about a royal law, which was the blue law that was written on the sapphire stones. And then when you talk about the scarlet, you're talking about the animal or the scapegoat or the bullock or the lamb, that when they cut the lamb's throat, the blood came out, it was scarlet. So when you look at the scarlet blood, and blood represents life, and then if you got a pure life, you got the pure blood. So when you take the scarlet blood and you put it with the blue royal law, then you get what you call the royal blood with the royal law gives you the royal color, which is purple. And then it says it has fine linen. And we know that linen uh, represents righteousness. The righteousness of the saints is what the linen represents. So when he wore, when he wore those garments of the multicolors and the various in the gold, that was the high priest's garment. And then he also had for the common priest, they had what you call the linen garments. Now, if we turn to Exodus chapter 28, and we look at verse 39, it says, And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework, 
and for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles and bonnets, shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them and consecrate them and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So here we find that these linen garments that his sons wore to assist him in, they were all linen. The bonnet on the head was linen. The girdle around their waist was linen. And the coat that they wore were all linen. And the linen represents the righteousness. Now, when we look at that bonnet that was on the head, then the high priest, when he put something on his head, he had a mitre. And what Elohim is telling us is that what's on our head is representative of him. And they had an insignia on the high priest's uh, mitre that says holiness to Yehovah, that holiness belongs unto the to Elohim. And so their minds must be holy when they roll the bonnets on their head. And then they were covered, their bodies was covered with the coat of linen, which represented the fact that their bodies should be holy. And then they had a girdle around the coat in order to hold uh, the coat tightly to them. And a girdle is a type of uh, thing that helps us to be neat and to hold in the clothes so that they would not be loosely hanging around us. So the girdle can look at as if we are to be solid and walk sturdy and to be able to uh, have the type of poise that Elohim wants us to have, then we'll have that girdle of righteousness around our waist to be able to hold us in in order to have the right posture for Elohim. So when we look at the garments that they wore, these garments represented the plan of salvation. So <clears throat> subsequently, when the chain, <clears throat> when the high priest made a change of clothing, he was changing his clothes for a purpose. Now, we pointed out that he came with his ordinary clothes. So when he changed his ordinary clothes, what was he changing? Well, we already covered that clothes represents a covering, and clothes also represents our character. Subsequently, when he changed his clothes, he was changing uh, his character. He was changing his covering and he was changing uh, his lifestyle. So when we look at the change, a change means you go on from one type of thing to another. So when the change, he changed his clothes, his ordinary clothes, he was changing his ordinary life to a life of righteousness. You see, the linen garments represented a life of righteousness. So when he took off his ordinary clothes and put on the linen clothes, he was changing 
his ordinary life to a life of righteousness. He was changing it to a life into which a covenant keeper, and when the covenant keeper changed their life, then when they put on the high priest's garment, then they were changing a life of righteousness into the covenant keepers, keeping in mind that the covenant keepers are dealing with the plan of salvation. They broke the blue law, and so they needed the blood, the 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 red blood of the animal in order to have it mixed together with the law, and they would have a royal law and a royal life. They would be sons of the king. So when we talk about a change, we're talking about changing a lifestyle. So what the high priest Aaron was doing in type when he was changing his clothes was changing the covering of a sinful life for a righteous life. He was changing a sinful character for a righteous character. So when we see the changes being made, we have to understand that these changes was just not some act that he was doing, but it was letting us know he was changing the character of a sinful life, uh, a righteous life. He was changing his clothes because he was changing the lifestyle of sin to a lifestyle of righteousness. He was changing those clothes because when iniquity had set in, man was sinful. But now when he changed those clothes and ultimately put on the high priest's clothes, then he was changing it back to the glory of Elohim. And so when he eventually completed the service in the evening on the Day of Atonement, he would take off his priestly garments and put on his regular clothes. Then when he eventually put on his personal clothes, he was righteous every day. In other words, after the Day of Atonement, when he put on his regular clothes, even underneath the regular clothes, because Israel, priests, as well as all of Israel, had been cleansed, so now the priest, when he closed the service on the Day of Atonement, he was getting ready to start the journey for the next year's Day of Atonement. And so he put back on his regular clothes, and then as he put on his regular clothes, he was pure, he was clean. And this is what Elohim wants us to do is to have all of our sins cleansed and done away with. And then when we put on our regular clothes and doing the work that we should do and doing the things that we should do, still underneath those clothes should be the righteousness of Yahuwah. Okay, now let us turn to Zechariah in closing. Now here in Zechariah, we want to look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 in the book of Zechariah. And when we look at chapter 3, we want to look at verses 1 through 3. 
Well, actually, we'll look at verses one through uh, one through five. One through five. Okay. All right. So here's what we have been talking about. When the priest changed his garment, he was changing his character from a sinful character to a righteous character. And here in Zechariah 3, starting with verse 1, it says, He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yehoah, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And Yehoah said unto Satan, Yehoah, rebuke thee, O Satan, even Yah, that has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will close thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of Yah stood by. Okay, so what we see here is that the high priest, Elohim says, that Satan was trying to accuse him. And then when he recognized that he could not accuse the high priest, Elohim said to Joshua, you are clothed with filthy garments, but I'm going to have you to be clothed with the high priest's garments that are pure. So in verse 4, it says, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. So this is what Elohim is trying to do for us on the Day of Atonement, is to change our clothes from that which is filthy to that which is pure. But most of all, he's trying to change our character from that which is vile and ugly to that which is beautiful and pure. So when the priest changed his garments, he was changing the character. And this is what Elohim had first started to do with our parents, Adam and Eve, and through the sacrificial system, he is continuing that process. And as he continues that process, and we are open to that process, then our characters can be changed. So we'll stop there, and there might be some observation questions or insights that you may have gathered as we have spoken on that seventh phase, the clothes-changing phase. Well, one, one of the things I noticed was that in regards to the light mm -hmm. and how in Exodus 28, 5, and 6, one of the first things it mentioned was the gold. Mm -hmm. And when you really kind of look at gold, and gold standing for divinity, gold kind of reflects light. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, the first thing Adam and Eve was closed with the light of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And then 
as they lost that, it seems like Yahuwah gave something gold as a temporary light. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting that you had that insight because uh, one of the words for in Hebrew for gold, it means the, the glittering, that which glitters. Mm. And so when you look at zakah, which is gold, uh, it means to glitter, to shine. Mm-hmm. And gold often represents, you look in the sanctuary, you had Shekinah glory, you know, you had a bright light. And so glow, gold reflects that bright light, especially when it's not tarnished or, uh, or, or soil, but when it's pure and shiny and clean, it can reflect the light. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so what Adam and Eve was dealing with uh, when they dealt with that glory, you know, uh, that was one thing. But then when he made the garments and he put that gold there, you know, you can still see inklings of truth in the glittering of the light that comes from the gold. Mm. Now, another thing I noticed was that the color and how you stated it went from blue to purple then scarlet in that order is there a reason mm-hmm. for it to be in that specific order because i know you were saying the royal that they become royal once you mix them the royal mm-hmm. purple mm-hmm. but why in that order and why not like the scarlet the blue or the blue the scarlet then the purple perhaps in the andertype i'll go more into the you know not this particular question Mm-hmm. But I'll be going into, you know, more of the significance of that. Okay. But, uh, since you asked the question, you had, uh, when you deal with the uh, the particular colors, you said he started with the gold, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, now when you, when you look at the, the materials that were to make, to make up the sanctuary, uh, now, if you turn to Exodus chapter 25, okay, if you turn to Exodus 25 mm-hmm. uh, and, and you look at verse 3, now these are all of the things that he was telling them to bring, okay? okay? Now, he was, he was telling them in verse 3, he said, and this is the offering which ye shall take of them. And the first one, like you said, he starts off with gold, now, mm-hmm. these are the metals that they were to have for the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. He starts with the gold and then the silver and then the brass. Okay. Now, all, all of that have a significance, okay? But for your question, and then he says the blue and purple and scarlet. Okay. And then he deals with the fine uh, uh, fine linen. Mm-hmm. Then he goes into the goat's hair and the first thing. Okay, now, okay, now, uh, let us look at it from this standpoint. Now, when we go to offer an offering or, or a sin offering, I'm going to ask a hypothetical question. Mm-hmm. Well, not only hypothetical, but uh, I meant a rhetorical. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question, okay, so you don't have to answer. Now, the question that I ask is this. Why do the repentant bring a sacrifice to the sanctuary? 
Well, basically, because he recognized that he has broke the law, okay? Mm -hmm. And so he has to be atoned for breaking that law, okay? Now, what law did he break? Well, the law that he broke was the Ten Commandment law, and the Ten Commandments was written on blue stones, mm -hmm. okay? Okay. So... We'll be going me in a deeper face when we get into antitype. Okay. But when he broke that blue blue law, he had sinned. Okay. And so when he sinned, then what happened was that Elohim had already told Israel that they didn't need to be like other nations. Now, how was other nations? Well, other nations, they had kings over them. But Elohim told his people, he said, I'm your king. You don't need a, you don't need a king over you. I'm your king. But mm. if you remember in, in Samuel's day, mm -hmm. they told Samuel, they said, we want a king like the other nations. Now, when you consider the fact that you got a king, then you got royalty. A king is royalty. So, so here's what happened mm -hmm. when they, when they broke the blue law, then they sinned, And when they sinned, they were no longer a part of royalty. Okay. Mm. They had dropped out of royalty. Okay. Now, how do they get back into royalty? They need the blood, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when they look at the law that they have broken and that they have now out of sync with royalty, then when they get the blood, then the blood purifies them, and then it combines with that law within the person and give them power, and then it says, now you are back into your royal state, wow. okay? Now, when you, when you study colors, when you study colors, you'll find that the basic color is white, okay? If you had a, a prism where you take a prism and it's sort of like a glass or plastic and you let light shine through it, it'll break up into different colors. Mm -hmm. So out of, out of the white comes all of the colors mm -hmm. once they are broken up. So when you look at the arrangements of colors, and this is a study in itself, in how Elohim arranges stuff, because nothing that he does is at random. If you search into it, you will find some meaning of why he arranges things the way he arranged it. So when he arranged it, then when you look at Exodus, uh, the, the uh, what was that, uh, 38, mm -hmm. and you look at how he had, ar had arranged the colors, then what you're looking at is that he arranged them in such a way that if you follow in the arrangement, you will not only discover their meanings, but you will also be walking through uh, the entire plan of salvation. That's mm -hmm. way. That's way he. That's way he ordered it. Okay. In other words, you got the you got the blue. You broke the law. You dropped out of royalty, and then when you got the blood, you got back into royalty, and then you put that white linen on to show 
that you have been redeemed and now you have the righteousness of Yehoah. Mm. Wow. So before we close out, um, we have a question from a listener mm -hmm. uh, regarding a previous podcast uh, episode. And their question is, why did Aaron bathe in a holy place and not where he lived? Is it to show the holiness in Jesus Christ before he could go in for a sacrifice? Okay. Uh, it, it did show somewhat of the holiness of Yeshua. And as I said, we'll, in a future, uh, we'll be dealing with this in antitype. And mostly what we'll deal with in the antitype is how Yeshua uh, fits in uh, with uh, the type, which was Aaron. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when they, now, when they uh, change clothes or wash, they did it in the holy place. Now, let me explain it this way. Number one, the reason why they did it in the holy place was because Elohim told them that this is where they should do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they had to follow directions. If he told them to do it there, then that's where they had to do it. Just like he told them that if they had a sacrifice, they could not offer the sacrifice anywhere in the camp. He said they must offer the sacrifice at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And that was where the altar of burnt offerings was, and that represented in type the Messiah who was to die. So they couldn't just offer the sacrifice anywhere. They had to offer the way he said. Mm -hmm. And so when they said uh, that they should wash uh, in the, uh, or change clothes in the holy place, this is what it was designated for the, the priest to do. Uh, now, one of the reasons for that not only just because he told him the place to do it, but another thing is that on the Day of Atonement, especially, they were to go in before the Shekinah glory, which was on top of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, where the Shekinah glory was that represented Elohim himself. Mm -hmm. And nobody could come into the tabernacle of the most holy place and be dirty. Mm. So if you couldn't be dirty in there, you definitely could not change your clothes in there. Mm -hmm. And so when they recognized that they had to be clean when they went in there, then it was a symbolical gesture that they had to be clean when they come before the most holy and the reason why they call it the most holy place is because Elohim himself was represented in that place. And it says on the Day of Atonement that when the priest went in, then he had to be clean. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things about the priest's garment is that around the border of the priest's garment, he had a pomegranate, he had the emblem of a pomegranate and a bell. Okay. All around, all around the border of his garment, he had bell and a pomegranate, a bell. Well, we can read this in uh, Exodus 28. Let's turn to Exodus 28. Okay. Okay. 
All right, now here, here it says in Exodus 28, and we're looking at verse 33, it says, And beneath upon the hem it, of it thou shalt make a pomegranate of blue, of purple, and scarlet, round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. Verse 34 says, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem round about. Now, what was this bell and a pomegranate about? Here's what it was about. Read verse 35. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place before Jehoah and when he cometh out, that he die not. Okay. Uh-huh. In other words, they got to, they had to hear the bell. Okay. Uh-huh. Because if he was unclean, if he was unclean and he went in there for the Lord, the Lord could strike him dead, uh-huh. and they wouldn't hear the bells. Uh-huh. So he had to do that in the holy place. But when he came into the most holy, you had to be clean, because uh-huh. if you didn't, they wouldn't hear those bells, and somebody would have had to come in and pull Aaron out of there. But as long as they heard, heard the bells, they knew that he was following uh, what Yahuwah wanted him to follow, and that is to be clean when he come into the most holy place. So therefore, he changed according to the instruction in the place that Yahuwah wanted him to change. Mm-hmm. And another, and the, and the final reason mm-hmm. that I can give is that the reason why he did it in the most holy place, and he did not do it when he was when he, when he was at home, is because no doubt, when he came from home to the sanctuary, he might have gotten a little soil. But when he went into the holy place and he changed, and he go to the labor in the court and he washed himself, and then he put his the other clothes in the holy place and mm-hmm. put on his other garments. Now he's clean and he's mm-hmm. able to carry on the work in the sanctuary, because any work done in the sanctuary, the priest had to be clean. Okay. Hopefully that uh, answers the listener's question. Okay, well, if not, they can they can they can write again, and I can come at it another way. Okay. But I think it'll be an advantage when they hear the other series on this. It mm-hmm. may add some light to the question that is being asked. Okay. Well, on that note, can you offer us a word of prayer? Okay, then. Eleven Father, we have seen how the high priest. On several occasions during the Day of Atonement, he changed his clothes. But one of the things that we've learned is that when we change our clothes, we change our character. We change our lifestyle, and this is what we want to do. Be able to change our sinful life to a righteous life through the power of Yeshua, the Messiah, that we may be able to be representative of thee. And on the Day of Atonement, you give us a chance, O Heavenly Father, to change our character. That when the Day of Atonement is over and we go back into our regular everyday life, we can have the life of Elohim that has been changing us into a righteous life to be underneath the character that we present every day that people can be able to see that even though we live uh, everyday ordinary life, we can still be able to represent thee in righteousness and in truth. So bless each one of us who listens. Bless each one of us who make an application of these principles into our lives that we may be able to reflect the life of Elohim through Yeshua the Messiah, that we may be able to know of a certainty 
that we are walking in the truth that you would have us to walk. And now, Father, as we know that the Day of Atonement is over, and now we move to another Day of Atonement in the next year that is coming, that each day that our sins are forgiven and pardoned, but on the Day of Atonement they are done away with, which is teaching us that ultimately one day all of our sins will be done away forever, and we have a life that we're made. And then when we look at our four parents and our first parents, as they sin and follow in a path, or have the father of our first mother and father, they can realize that through Yeshua the Messiah, we can find redemption through his blood to be able to bring us back to what we ought to be. And then when we are redeemed and we look back and see what you have done for us, we can give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful life of your son. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Before we go, we ask for you to also pray for us and pray for this podcast because we always need prayer. And also, if you would like us to pray for you, please reach out. Feel free to reach out to us. You can email us either for if you have a prayer request or you want to ask a question or you have a comment. Please feel free to email us at science of the covenant at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. So that is our show for the day. We hope you tune in to us weekly as we study scripture each and every week. And as I always say, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto Elohim, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Until next week, Shalom.